Hi FI Europeans, this is Matthias and today I interview Parul Mandan. Parul is an experienced entrepreneur living in Cologne, Germany with her roots in India. She and her husband Nikhil founded multiple startups after a successful career in a large corporation. Since a couple of years, she's also investing and advising other aspiring founders. Therefore, she's also leading the Cologne chapter of the Founders Institute, one of the biggest accelerator programs worldwide to help entrepreneurs thrive. Definitely continue listening to her interesting life story and if you want to learn what is important when building and growing new companies and attract capital of investors. And if you want to join the Dudash Entrepreneurs Network, just click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta and Matthias. This episode is sponsored by Mintos. And Mintos is the largest peer-to-peer -peer marketplace for European investors and offers a big selection of loans worldwide with regular returns of up to 12% per annum. And FI Europe listeners get 0.5% cashback bonus on their initial deposits. Head over to financial-independence.eu slash Mintos for more information. And the link will also appear in the show notes. Please note, we are no financial advisors, so please do your own research. And by using the referral link, you will also support us to cover the costs of the podcast. Thank you. So hello, FI Europeans. Welcome to another episode of the FI Europe podcast. Um, today, it's all about entrepreneurship, because entrepreneurship is one of the, as you might know, one of the great possibilities to become financial independence, because it has a great leverage to make money if you do it right. And yeah, if you want to do it right, then we have somebody here today. Uh, her name is Perul. Hello, Perul. Hi, Matthias. Hi, FI Europe. Hi, and she's an entrepreneur. I'm currently living in Cologne, and um, she also has a strong track record of entrepreneurship and is also very engaged in the community. And I hope we can uh, learn a lot from her. What I recently saw on LinkedIn is a, is a picture from John Travolta shaking the hand of Perul. Did you really shake his hand? Or yes, was it just I, no, it was actually shaking hands and having an interaction. So yes, definitely. I met him on an event in LA. So I was there addressing uh, or for two entrepreneurs, basically. There was an uh, event where I was invited as a guest speaker. And I was uh, being presented as a global entrepreneur because I have businesses in uh, US as well and Europe, of course, because I live here and I've been connected to European uh, market for a very long time. I'm originally from India, so I have definitely businesses there as well. <laughs> so I was invited there and John Travolta met me at Backstage, actually. He was also on the same platform and it was very exciting. And the great thing is that... Uh, I got to meet him and I didn't faint. <laughs> so yeah, so that was a great meeting. Uh, what what kind of event was that in LA? It was for entrepreneurs, founders, business people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was there and uh, I was there for a conference and then I met him backstage. There was a common space to go through uh, there in the green room and that's where I met him and I had a brief chat with him and I requested for a picture, which he very graciously <laughs> agreed to. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I I would have been too shy to ask him, but um, yeah, um, great opportunities. And we also link the picture maybe in in the show notes so that you, people can see that it's it, that it's real. 
And um, that also uh, made me to um, come up with a new question that we haven't had in the podcast. And uh, it's um, I, I copied that from a, from another German podcast. And it's a question about three fictional events. And I'm wondering if you what what of these events would you do? So number one is would you dance in a Saturday Night Fever remake with John Travolta? Number B or three or two participate in a show in the show Dragons Den. This is in the, the Höhle der Löwen in Germany. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. startup investing show. Mm -hmm. And third is uh, found a project in India to empower women's business with microcredits. What would you do and and why? And what won't you do? Can I select all three? Yes, but you have to say why. <laughs> why? Yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the answer to the no number one is obviously, you know, uh, growing up in um, late 70s, 80s, you know, John Travolta was an icon for all of us and uh, given an opportunity to be able to dance with him, even if I know that I wouldn't be a match. He can still dance. <laughs> He can still show his moves. I yeah. am a professional, uh, not really professional, but I have learned classical dance and I'm a good dancer, but not practiced. But I would definitely uh, do that in a heartbeat. To question number two, Dragon's Den. Yes, of course, uh, being, an, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, being an investor, that will definitely be a great uh, experience and a learning. Definitely participate there as well in any capacity. And point number three, uh, for women empowerment, obviously, I'll, I'll definitely do that. I'm very passionate about that. And there are contributions around that, uh, which I have. And if I can do it in a very, very objective uh, with a, a directional efforts, and uh, if those efforts can be done mm. in cooperation with the governments and authorities and also create like a sustainable model, which really uh, brings value and upliftment on the grassroots level i would definitely be keen to do that as well yeah very good um so next time i have to think about other options so that you have to disagree at least with one <laughs> <laughs> all right so and um, right now you are in the financial independence uh, podcast have you uh, heard about the concept of financial independence or the fire movement and or have you ever had the goal to become more financially free or independent in the in the past so I, I think financial independence comes to me naturally. I, I suppose, you know, I never thought of it as a concept or something like a life's goal or something like that. So I have a habit of saving uh, right from childhood. So growing up in India, you have a lot of festivals and where you get, uh, you know, gifts from your elders and your family members. And uh, more often than not, in, when you're growing up and you're no longer a small child, people give you money so that you can buy things of your choice. So me and my sister, we both used to deposit that in the post office, like, you know, in a, in a deposit, like not a bank, but we used to get some interest out of it. And then we would be able to buy something uh, which we really thought would be interesting for us or something like that. And that habit actually continued while I was in the college. So I had a budget which I used to have in which I had to basically manage my expenses. But I used to save out of that and, and that habit continues. So that that has really helped me in life in general as a principle that I have, let's say, a target in which I'm going to manage my expenses and the rest of it uh, will be saved. And also not just as, as a saving in the bank account, but I would invest it in some kind of a recurring investments. So that, uh, that develops on its own over a period of time. 
So there are multiple ways to basically gain passive income. And uh, there are a lot of opportunities out there in the market. It totally depends on your risk ability. And uh, you can define a balanced portfolio. Some of it can be more risky. Some of it can be balanced. And some of it can be, let's say, less risky. So there are several options and experts available. And I'm not an expert in that personally. So I basically have experts for that from whom I take advice. And those relationships have to be cultivated over a period of time as well. And you can start small, right? You don't have to kind of start with, uh, let's say, thousands of euros or dollars. You can just start with, uh, let's say, even 100 euros. But then you have to commit 100 euros per month in that kind of portfolio building and have that approach. So that's the only advice I would say to your uh, listeners, uh, in a way, to go in that direction. And um, you, what you mentioned also that uh, you emphasize the importance of relationship. So you said you have um, maybe different assets um, or in, in passive income strategies and you have somebody who is giving you advice. And um, uh, so you basically, and you said you, you, you have to cultivate these relationships. So kind of building trust or, mm -hmm. or what, um, is it really important? Because you, you could also go, just go to your brokerage account and buy some Apple stocks and uh, yeah. yeah, buy and hold. So what kind of assets or how do you consume these or use these relationships? Yeah. So, uh, like, for example, in Europe, right, um, I mean, here I have a relationship manager in my bank and they basically recommend uh, what kind of, uh, you know, portfolio I want to build, for example. So then they recommend uh, what are the risk uh, funds, what are the balanced funds and which ones are, let's say, the least risky ones. And then you can define the proportion in which you want to go. And that's where uh, you seek the expert's advice. Otherwise, you'll have to spend hours and hours in learning about those funds and their performances and go in the nitty gritty. And to get access to those reports can also cost a lot of money. And these experts are obviously doing this day and night. And I respect uh, the advice from the experts because that's their job professionally. And, and that's not my profession, right? If I was doing it professionally, then obviously I'll do it myself. But uh, then I would like to kind of get the expert advice and I like to go with their uh, suggestions there. Of course, I ask questions to them. Why mm. did they choose that? And uh, what are the uh, elements that were important for them? What are the fundamentals they are looking at and stuff like that? And we discuss that and uh, we work with that. Going to the stock market directly, again, that's doable. People do that. Mm. But uh, that's something not for me personally. Not that I haven't tried it, but it, it needs time and energy. And uh, if you're doing things in life, which uh, basically takes you away from that commitment, because then you have to commit certain time. It has to be a discipline, you know. Mm. Developing passive income is like developing your active income. If you go to the job, you work for that. And passive income also demands some time of some kind of time from you and if it is yeah. not a disciplined approach then it will not yield results in the long term so in my opinion generating income is always about discipline more than anything else hmm. and um, you basically also ask different experts not just one or i mean you could ask or verify with, with another expert what the other expert guy was saying or you can just look at the performance to verify that it's successful 
I personally, you know, I mean, where I am right now, I have obviously number of years of experience and, uh, mm. and I leverage a lot from the experience that I have. Mm. But in the early days, uh, it was more about building a relationship. And why is that important? It's like getting into a long-term relationship. It's uh, knowing how the person thinks. Can you trust them? And the currency here is trust. And to build trust, you need to spend time with people. You need to understand how they approach to a particular thing. Do your values align? Will you be able to work with them? How do you onboard objections? How do you onboard suggestions? Are they will are they flexible? If you if you have any any uh, let's say uh, some concern or something like that, are they able to explain that to you? So all those things kind of matter a lot than just pure uh, statistics or data points. There, data is secondary in that scenario. It's it's more about the trust factor. Whether can you trust somebody with your money, even if it is hundred euros? Do you trust them? Do you think you can uh, work with them? And and for me, as a person, it's very important. And mm. I'm happy to say that the portfolio manager that I have uh, in India, actually, we've been working since early 2000s, you know. So it's mm. nearly uh, a close to 20-year-old relationship. And in Europe as well, it's uh, close to uh, 10 years plus relationship now that we have with the uh, fund managers who are still managing our funds. Pretty good. Um, so also the consulting aspect um, or the, the people skills of, of these um, advisors are also very important, not just the, uh, the numbers, as you mentioned. And uh, you also mentioned that you want to focus on uh, your active income. So what you what you do and you want to dedicate the focus and energy there. So what are your um, current ventures or what are your current projects that you are involved so, I mean, in the current uh, venture that, well, over the past several years after the exits from my businesses, uh, me and I, my husband together, we have been investing in tech startups through our family office. And our investments range from SaaS-based platforms to deep tech, artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain, <laughs> even uh, AR and VR, but mostly in B2B space. We have very few investments in the B2C space. And we recently launched a Dash, a concept that we both have been working on um, since a while now, since actually a couple of years. And that is basically to bring the innovation ecosystems online digitally, because they're still very location-based in 21st century. And we both strongly believe that entrepreneurs are the change agents in the society. They are the problem solvers, innovators, and inventors. And we believe these change makers are the ones who impact humanity in many positive ways. For example, by creating jobs, by providing their fantastic solutions, and in principle, they are the key components for the economic growth. And we want to enable these entrepreneurs by making their businesses fundable and investable. And on one side, you know, people ask me this question, what does it really mean? So uh, just to kind of expand that a bit. On one side, we have entrepreneurs who want to sell their products or services to customers. And on the other side, there are these founders who have a grand vision through which they want to fundamentally transform or change the world. And therefore, they need funding to develop their value proposition. And we want to ena enable both these uh, personas. And as for our efforts in this direction, we accelerated our community platform for entrepreneurs. 
So we have a, a community platform. Uh, if you visit yodash.com, you can see a bunch of entrepreneurs, experts, and investors. And this platform was launched end of April. And you can explore the content there. If you like it, you can join the network of like-minded people. And you can also download it in the App Store for iOS and Android. And of course, people can follow us on social media like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we put also the link uh, in the show notes that you can cl click the invite link there. And yeah, right. I'm also a member of the network. And yeah, it's really interesting how many people and the growth you already have there. And uh, you all also have two or one or two community managers that yes. are also engaging people to to ask their questions and also just to provide some content to get the conversation uh, flowing. And uh, it's very uh, yeah interesting for me also because I'm also managing a couple of communities. So yeah, more or less successful. Yeah, <laughs> um, great. It's great to have you there actually, Matthias. And uh, yeah, I also prepared two questions, but I'm uh, kind of too shy to ask them. That's why I may maybe wait a little bit. And <laughs> Don't um, be shy. That's my <laughs> advice to you. <laughs> Um, but also what I, what I like is that it's not, not only on Facebook. I mean, you have some groups on, uh, in Facebook, but it's also nice to have something out of these classic uh, social media channels that you can really own and um, yeah, where you don't have any, any ads and, and that you actually can see because uh, the, the feed is not part of Facebook algorithms. Uh, instead, you can just see what, what's happening there. Yeah, so that's that's very rightly said. We wanted to move away from an algorithmic feed, which is monolithic, and it takes you away from the content you care about or knowing about the people you care about. That was the reason why we all joined Facebook in the first place, to be connected with friends and family. And LinkedIn was more for professional network. And now these feeds are hijacked for other purposes. So we want people with the common interests, people who care about a specific type of content. They just come together, develop these ephemeral relationship over the you know application through internet, and they just come in there, check in the content they care about, five, 10 minutes, check out. If they like the content more, they can come again, just spend five, 10 minutes, and then check out. We don't want people to spend huge amount of time, but we want them to have a mind feed, which is relevant for them, which is improving them, which is bringing them closer to their goals. And you also have, um, you work with, um, I think I've seen that you, first of all, you have uh, an academy so that you're also for beginners right now, um, mm -hmm. also teach some, some of the uh, concepts of entrepreneurship um, that is also kind of growing right now. And what you also have there is uh, different kind of local communities. So you have the ambassador concept that you have um, different towns or segments there where mm -hmm. people can take the ownership. And they, uh, I've also seen that they can monetize. Then, for example, if some of uh, some of the audience is an entrepreneur or really likes about uh, likes entrepreneurship in Zagreb, for example, would like to open a chapter there. It's it's kind of possible they can apply uh, for the Do Dash um, Zagreb group mm -hmm. and become uh, an ambassador there. True. Yeah, so so that's an interesting point you bring up. So uh, what we do is we try, uh, so we do two things, actually. One is if people invite on our platform, we want to recognize that. And that is the ambassador program. So if you send certain invitations, so we have a level of bronze, silver and gold members on the platform. So that's like a badge you earn. So we want to recognize those people who really care about building the community. 
But what happened, Matthias, actually after we launched and, you know, in less than uh, 24 hours after the launch, we had 100 plus members. And in two weeks time, we had 450 members plus and it's totally organic growth. We haven't spent a cent on uh, any ads or anything like that. And it's growing, uh, you know, just with the recommendation and references at the moment. So mm-hmm. what happened was uh, when we launched our uh, on our launch event, which was early May, people actually uh, recommended uh, and they basically asked, can they start a Dash local uh, network? They would like to lead it. So the sparring ring concept actually came from the community themselves. And because uh, it was a great concept, we did some brainstorming with some of the people who came forward with this concept. So we wanted to go forward with it in a structured way. And uh, actually, uh, last week was the uh, first launch. Actually, we had more than uh, 20 applications and we selected about 13 people. And these guys are committed and uh, they're going to take it forward in different cities as we speak. So it's pretty international from that standpoint. And uh, you also mentioned in this that, that these, these ambassadors can also monetize, monetize their efforts because, I mean, it's it's a lot of time you, you put in to yeah. build uh, this. How, how, how does it work? Yeah. So, you know, uh, volunteering work is good. You know, people have to be intrinsically motivated uh, to basically go forward with this uh, kind of an activity. But to create a sustainable model, we know that... Uh, a lot of people want to do it professionally and they want to kind of uh, do a lot of things. So we, we've been collecting these ideas from the community members and uh, we have created a concept on how to go about monetization. I feel there is some way to go for that, but at least uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, trial and error approach and uh, something that we'll keep on iterating, ideating together and bring it forward. So definitely there is a model out there, which which is a collective intelligence. And that's what we want to basically leverage and also provide value to the people who are uh, in this mode to bring the community forward. Mm-hmm. How is it uh, different from, I've seen, um, Google you a little bit, I hope it's okay. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. you have in the past, you had also in 2017, you had Inavik. Um, that's mm-hmm. also some incubator for businesses. And you also have been leading the, the chapter of Founders Institute in Cologne. Mm-hmm. How is uh, Dudesh different from these two? And, and what was the experience with the, with the other two? Maybe you've maybe learned something that you can now uh, use in, in Dudesh. So, I mean, Inavik is uh, currently, it's still there. So the current version of Inavik, Inavik that we have is the family office through which we make investments. And it was an operational company through which we had built businesses in the past and also incubated some of our ideas there, which were then, uh, you know, after the incubation and they were successful. So they were spun out as a separate company, uh, whether it was in a mobile app or in healthcare or at tech. So some of those uh, initiatives were then uh, spun out of Inavik. But in the current avatar, Inavik is a family office where we basically actively invest in early stage companies. Uh, for our Founder Institute, basically, after the exits, uh, like I mentioned before, we were, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who were coming to us uh, because we were connected in the ecosystem. And uh, we realized uh, the local uh, city of Cologne and the region that needed some encouragement uh, in terms of bringing the ideas to reality. And we looked into how to go about it. And uh, FI had actually reached out to us 
to set up a local chapter. And we thought of launching FI because our core values are pretty common because we have entrepreneurship background. We are also angel investors. And we want to encourage uh, founders to think big, basically, to leverage the Silicon Valley mindset. So that's why we launched uh, FI here to basically empower the local ecosystem at uh, early stage, uh, at idea stage, basically, for founders and uh, connect them to the global uh, at Silicon Valley if they are successful. I'm actually also connected to Tech Tours, uh, which is one of the largest Europe-wide startup event that takes place and also to Copernicus Accelerator, which is for European Space Agency, which I was very surprised when they invited me on that because uh, they wanted somebody from outside and not just from uh, the limited, (laughs) they said, limited space area. So that was an honor and also a privilege for me to be Mm -hmm. there. And uh, yeah, and I've been uh, working also to launch Quake Capital from USA in Germany in an innovative way of launching a 5G consumer focus accelerator program in the Rhineland. And we have Deutsche Telekom and RTL and NRB Invest as the partners there. So it was also launched in mid-May. So yeah, doing a lot of stuff on the startups and different dimensions and making the whole ecosystem a bit more vibrant. Mm. One of the big, what I want to talk about is the, the com- concept of com- community. I think in the last um, 10 years, I would say it, it has become more important um, because you, you can also ne- see big companies like these Lulu Moon, Atletica is also using the concept of community to engage their customers. Um, you have all these communities like the what, what you mentioned right now, also our financial independence community, and you have a lot of Facebook groups that are also community. How is this? What do you think? Um, why is um, this community concept so so important uh, right now in the the zeitgeist than it was maybe before? Yeah, I think community has always been relevant if you were in a B2C uh, kind of a space, right? If there was end customer who was your consumer where you were selling at, Right. So so that was always important because your sales were driven mostly from word of mouth. So if you wanted to buy, let's say, uh, a CD player, I don't know when you were born, uh, Matthias, but if you wanted to buy a CD player or DVD player. 1982, I had, I had CDs. <laughs> okay. And so tapes you did definitely also. Had, and tape also. Yeah, I was going to start with the tape. But anyway, I thought I'll use CD, which uh, at least a younger generation can potentially relate to. So you would rather go with the recommendation of your friend, right? And uh, see what they, what they have bought and how they're using it. What are the, you know, pros and cons on them and uh, digitalization, uh, you know, the internet age has actually accelerated that. And with the, these mass scale platforms that we have, that has accelerated the, the whole community thing. I mean, community in the past was, uh, was like forums, right? Which was a form. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it it was it was there, right? It's not new. Stack Flow still exists for programmers, right? Uh, it's still it's one of the biggest resource, but uh, they they've not been able to change their interface or do a better job of that. So all these uh, you know big social network platforms actually were trying to solve that in a different way. Facebook fundamentally changed that, right? Because uh, it kind of connected people uh, on a social level and uh, people came together for for being connected uh, globally with their families and friends after uh, they passed out their schools and stuff like that. And uh, 
And now for digital businesses, uh, building a community is very important. So if you are at an idea stage entrepreneur, right? So you don't want to spend a lot of money on building your product or technology. It's a great way to test your concept, test your product before you actually spend a cent on your product build out. And once you have an MVP, you can, uh, again, show that to your community members, uh, people who really care about it, have just five, six, seven people who are willing to go through the whole hog with you and give you the right feedback, encourage you as well at the same time and uh, bring you forward. So that's why community is extremely important in my view to constantly iterate on your uh, idea, to constantly iterate on your product, to constantly find that product market fit or find that traction or find the right pricing where you want to sell that product. Are people willing to pay in the first place? I have also the feeling that that, that purpose is, is more um, um, important these days. And the community, is it's, it's always about... Uh, a common common goal or a common purpose and then you can offer this group a product that helps them to achieve um, to, or to fill this this purpose mm -hmm. also for learning i think i've seen a lot of learning groups or these all these online coaches they all, always have some kind of community where they mm -hmm. can apply the the knowledge that they they gain from this guru <laughs> um or coach and um I think everybody's in, in maybe a handful of communities right now, online communities to learn something or to hmm. uh, to sell something or to yeah to change something. And yeah, I'm kind of following how this yeah how communities evolve and um, yeah. how how you can create a, a nice community. And um, you also talked about the um, two personas of your Jewish um, community or platform, um, the investors and entrepreneurs. I have kind of found out what entrepreneurs got out of it because they can ask questions, they get learning material, uh, they can connect, uh, find co-founders and so on. And how do investors profit from it? Are they just um, monitoring the entrepreneurs and then sending in the right moment, sending them a direct message and ask to fund them? Or how does it work for the investors? Because we have also some people with money in the audience. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have that in the audience and investors definitely, uh, you know, every investor, it depends on which which trajectory they are, right? They're always looking at the growth of the startup and the earlier they see the growth of a startup or a founder, it is a, also a trust building uh, path for or before uh, funding any any founder or a startup. So that's where it is. And this particular platform is a precursor to our investability platform per se. So we will be actually launching an investability platform, which is currently in the build process at the moment. And that will basically accelerate uh, the whole thing of uh, building a fundable business and investable business. And that's where investors can closely communicate with the founders. And, uh, and hopefully we can get the investments accelerated to the founders in the right time and the people who need it. Ah, and um, you're also looking for a full-stack developer because I was was thinking about why are they looking for a full-stack developer because the, the, the software for the community is kind of um, bought or software as a service, but why are they using, uh, need, why do they need a full-stack um, developer? And maybe it's because of this investment um, platform um, where you can invest in startups. Is yeah. it 
because of that? Yeah. So so both the platforms will be continuously, you know, built and uh, they will be constant. Cont- so this one we'll definitely keep on improving and evolving as we go along based on the features that are requested. And obviously we need to give value to the community. And uh, the platform, the investability platform, like I mentioned, is currently in a build phase. And uh, that, for that, we are definitely looking for expanding the team that we have. Mm. Uh, now I can remember because I was talking so, uh, with somebody last year for a coffee and they told me about your kind of morning star day, uh, morning star for investments or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, oh, I also um, tried that five years ago with uh, not, not much success um, because I was investing in, in, in this crowdfunding, uh, startup mm-hmm. crowdfunding, and it was really hard to get just a table with all the data from all platforms of all the startups to see what startups um, fits my criteria. And mm-hmm. I had to yeah, kind of build a crawler that puts everything on one table. Um, but um, yeah, I had to work also on other stuff. That's why I haven't followed through. But that is really something that um, it's kind of missing that you have some kind of uh, platform where you really have some data um, and where you can really... I mean, there are CEDAs, but... I think it, it's not the end um, of what's hmm. possible to invest. So maybe we can uh, have a, another coffee, Matthias, sometime soon, and I can learn from your <laughs> experiences there, and we make sure that we address your uh, your learnings from there. Um, yeah, yeah, we can do that. It can also be a tea, but um, currently I prefer yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah, whatever um, you like. I drink both. <laughs> ah, perfect. Yeah. Okay, so I think we got it from, from the Dudash perspective. We kind of, I just asked about what you're kind of doing right now. And then we dive very deep into uh, the, the Dudash uh, topic. Is there anything else or are you, are you just focusing on Dudash right now? So I'm, like I mentioned, so Dudash is definitely like, uh, I'm, I'm wearing the founder's hat again with that, which I was not doing for the last few years. So that's one hat. Uh, and, and the other thing is the company uh, companies that we've invested in. So we still work with them uh, actively to uh, bring them forward in whichever capacity we can. So there are, there are ongoing activities and efforts in that direction as well. And then, uh, like I mentioned, the 5G accelerator program that I'm currently running here in the Rhineland. So that's my current focus as well, which will be concluded over the next few few months. So that's where also we accelerate the startups. And that's an international program. We have startups right from Australia to United States. The goal is to accelerate their growth and development and looking more into the future. So these are uh, the main focus areas. And uh, other than that, I also am committed to FI. So that will also continue. And there are some other smaller initiatives that I'm involved with. So they will all continue. And when you mention FI, it means Founders Institute right now. Yes, in that Not case, yes. In my, no. <laughs> so financial independence in my case and uh, Founder Institute as well, as well as, as the early stage uh, founders. So yes, that's, that's definitely the right definition. You, you mentioned this, this guy called Husband. Um, is he also working on the same things or do you strictly, yeah, you, you do your projects and he's doing his projects? So, um, like I mentioned, so for the investment portfolio, we have a common portfolio, right? And uh, mostly the startups when we support, so there we have a mostly clear division and sometimes we definitely discuss and if we can help in those areas, but then we kind of assign 
uh, with startups to uh, kind of accelerate who's doing what. And Udash, we come together, but then again, we have uh, clear areas who's focusing what, and we have other team members as well. So we have uh, Michael Kozak, who's a community lead, and we have Marcus Buck as the other co-founder who's customer experience uh, lead. And we all have, obviously, interconnections. We come together on certain aspects, but we also have uh, somehow division of responsibilities or let's say the key accountability definition so that uh, each one of us is kind of assigned on certain aspects and also come together if we need to help. And in, in the times of changing priorities, we have each other. So you, you kind of really have a lot of stuff to, to show off or <laughs> well, you, you, you kind of achieved um, a lot of things that maybe also some people haven't achieved right now. How did it come that, that you achieved these things? So what were, I don't believe in this linear development of people, but um, there, there are always certain steps that you kind of, um, you do this job and then you learn some guy or some girl that can help you to learn something else or that you can bring you in another community. And then suddenly you, you make a lot of money or you have a really successful project and that leads to another thing and another thing. And so how was this in your life? Um, where did you start? Have you ever worked in a corporate or, um, and you also mentioned that you have been in on several countries or US, India, What, what's your biography, basically? Well, sure. I can uh, share some of my life journeys with you. And yes. please feel free to ask me or if something is not clear, just let me know because, uh, you know, it's a lot of life's lessons here. So <laughs> so uh, as I reflect that with you today, uh, Matthias, it's been a long journey, right? And so far, yeah. and I'm, I'm looking forward to my life as I go along further. And uh, I wouldn't say that I have a real answer, but, uh, and I wouldn't say that I know everything, I wouldn't pretend, but I can just share what I got in life or what I did in life, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're young, your focus is to get ahead in your career. And I did work in corporate for about 10 plus years uh, at, the, at the start of my life, right? So it's a pivotal, I I'm 50-50 with my corporate and entrepreneurial experience. It's probably surpassing now my entrepreneurial slowly. But I did start my life with the uh, corporate. And when you're young, you're just looking to grow. You want to surpass your colleagues or even your superiors, you know, sometimes. And being competitive is the key. That's your key mission at that point in time. And even corporate management actually promotes that in many ways. But early on, I realized when you are lunging ahead from your peers, it's not going to be without any friction. And when you're climbing up that ladder, one of the ways corporate rev rewards you is to get your own team. And in that case, while keeping your competitive spirit in balance, you have to also motivate your team to deliver. And that is a very, very tricky balance. I took several initiatives and, and I basically, I, I feel blessed that I got those opportunities and I basically took them and I delivered on them. And for me, it was always a learning. And then as an entrepreneur, You know, life is constantly chaotic. Your priorities are constantly changing. You have to handle tremendous amount of pressure, be it from your, your daily running of your business or building your product or keeping your customers happy, anything. And you cannot burden your team members in that case, right, with the pressures you are going through. In fact, <laughs> got to motivate yourself and even them and constantly encourage your team that's working uh, on the mission at hand, right? So I learned it a very hard way that from being the top problem solver to becoming an enabler. In my early years, I was constantly in a firefighting mode. 
always addressing the urgent and not the important or necessary. And it's important not to worry about instant solutions. Sometimes it's important to take a step back. And it's very important from a long-term perspective. It, it is actually, a, it has a positive impact, and especially in the culture development of your company. So the person who brings this problem to you, it's important that uh, you spend some time understanding how they will solve the problem or what solutions have they actually thought about. Have they <laughs> spoken about it with the other team members? Mm. And what do they think about it? And, and then go from there. And there can be some great ideas that come from most of these unexpected quarters. Sometimes we don't think about it. And I personally feel we should never underestimate the power of collective intelligence, especially in the knowledge industry. Yes. And in the long term, it builds a lot of trust within the team. And most importantly, it creates a safe zone where mistakes are allowed to happen. And problem solving becomes a creative challenge rather than, uh, you know, a fight of existence or people hiding things from each other. So that's what I can say happened. Uh, and, uh, and to your second part of your question, uh, how do you define the growth or how can I define growth for anybody? In my view, growth happens sometimes and sometimes it doesn't happen. You have to in my view, constantly self-reflect. So I took some time to do that self-reflection uh, in many ways. And in my opinion, we are a sum total of the choices and the decisions we have uh, made in our lives. And very often, some of those decisions and those choices are driven and they're governed by our circumstances in our life. It could be professional, it could be personal. And when we are young, we are very reactive. But as life progresses and with a lot of life's lessons, many a times our decisions are based on biases we have developed in our minds. And for me personally, I challenge every decision, most of my decisions that I have to take today. And I try to figure out if there is any bias there. Is it coming from anything of my past learning? And it's, it's a very tough thing to do. And uh, the only thing I can tell you that helps me a lot is to stay open talk to a lot of young people like yourself and listen to them and learn from them. Yeah, that's really important. Um, I'm kind of blessed that we have also very young people in our communities. And I, I also, um, I'm, it's really stunning what I, I learned from them, what kind of tools they use or what different approaches they have. And I, first of all, I, I think mm, I think my, my, my point of view or how I, I do things is kind of better. But then I just, in a, in a couple of months, I see, oh, look, that um, the, the other suggestion was um, kind of also valid and um, I should have uh, took that more seriously what younger people are, are telling me. So I am kind of really listening to what they say. And we in the podcast, we have my two co-hosts are also very young. So and I also um, respect what they make for decisions and what they ask and what they kind of want to do. So really important also to have young people in your companies and, and around you. So are you constantly trying to surround yourself with young people on purpose? Yeah. So in my view, I try to take advantage of uh, both. You know, I learned a lot from people who are older to me, who are, uh, you know, much more experienced uh, than me and learn from them. So I leverage a lot. And I also learn from the young people. So I say, I would say that I'm at the best position because <laughs> there's a lot of life ahead of me still. And there is, uh, you know, a lot of young and dynamic people out there uh, whose purpose continues to heighten. And they are looking for Im 
impact-oriented leadership. So that is, for me personally, a leadership challenge, how to keep these people motivated. Mm. Because if you see, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z dominate the workforce today, and these two generations are demanding change from professionals like us or even older to us, and uh, what their expectations are from the employers, and they they are consumers of all these digital uh, technologies. So mm. they, their expectations is what is driving this uh, innovation so much and also impacting the communities, like, you know, the whole uh, thing that we discussed about the forums used to exist. And now those forums <laughs> are there, but maybe not as active as before. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I tried it for a bit, but um, I cannot uh, keep up to that. <laughs> and and interestingly, this generation, these two generations, you know, millennials and Gen Z are the most connected people. They are the most educated generation in the human history today. Mm. Yeah. And they want meaning and purpose that is tied to a greater cause. They just don't want a paycheck. Yeah. And and that is what motivates me, you know, that is what motivates me. And that is what motivated us to uh, develop Dash. And we actually accelerated the whole community platform first. We flipped our business model and we launched the community network first because of the COVID times. And it, it seemed like there's a need like that and people wanted that and people accepted it. And that's why we flipped it. And now we are working on the investability platform. So we deployed all our resources in that direction first and we changed our go-to-market approach. And um, you also mentioned that you have to learn um, that you have been kind of problem solver and then you have to move to the enabler zone. So what what if, if somebody is kind of starting to become a manager or a team lead, what would you give them for advice um, if they be want to become a great enabler? How What kind of methods um, do you think have helped you in the past, for example? I think the most important thing to do is just to not react immediately. Just just hold your reaction. No, don't try to solve the problem. Don't try to give some instant solutions. Try to listen to the people and try to see what they try to do. And uh, just it's it's difficult. It, it's a practice. It's a fitness thing in a way, <laughs> going on the treadmill, something like that. Yeah. But over a period of time, you learn. And also, not every problem can be a you know burning in the hell kind of a thing. So sometimes we have to take those decisions. Is this really a burning issue right now? Can we step back or can we not? So there is a fine balance and, and that will come with practice. And mostly the problems are not uh, burning issues. Most of the problems If you take a step back, if you take a moment to reflect, it can be handled in, in a better way. It's always, I would say, it's active listening is very important and not blocking your mind and not having a perspective on it and just staying on that perspective, on that path. Listen to the other person. And I would say there are a lot of blind spots in everything we do. And if we want to achieve really great successes, we have to take benefit from this approach we have to believe in this approach and believe in this process so that uh, people can enable their own teams in the long term i mean it's very hard also also for me to to, to stop this instant judging about everything and i've seen that in in, in my day work also that these um, what would really helps is for example design thinking where they really take a long time to explore the problem Or just to explore without the solution. So that is uh, an equal part is just exploring the field and and uh, the problem area instead of uh, the solution because otherwise you you won't get a proper solution. 
or you just get a quick fix, but not um, you're not taking the, the the holistic approach. So you said that this is a kind of fitness. Would you say people should just meditate, or <laughs> before they speak, they should count like one, two, three before they talk, or what would you say? What helps, yeah, helps you with fitness? Definitely, definitely. Bite your tongue. Hold it. <laughs> Keep it between your teeth. <laughs> Don't talk. And I think important is also, uh, you know, I say active listening, but I think it's also reflective listening. When you are actually uh, respectful of others, right, then you are actually digesting that information and you are actually not uh, uh, staying on the course with your bias or your judgment. And uh, with reflective listening, you digest that and you are willing to listen to them from, you understand their standpoint, where they're coming from. And then later on, you can add value to that. And, and that's where the whole, whole aspect of respect and empathy kind of comes in so that you don't try to impose your own beliefs on, mm. on the ways you want, to, you want to really force them to approach things because that's how you think, right? Mm. But you have to take trust in your values and you can be open about it that, okay, I was thinking about it, but what do you think about uh, my solution? And let them kind of uh, give uh, feedback on that. So be open to that. Mm. I think also uh, empathy. So I'm I'm kind of trend scout uh, sometimes, and I think empathy is one of the next big things. You you won't believe it because it's not blockchain or Python or it's just empathy in the workplace and how you can learn and facilitate that. And I've seen that some guy of in, in Google they uh, they created a program that is called uh, Search Inside Yourself program and there you can learn how to facilitate this this empathy in the in the workplace and the, the consciousness and and how to really use it in, in in your daily practice um so i'm really interested how that uh, evolves over time this this empathy bubble <laughs> and how um you also mentioned the safe zone how do you create safe zones um when you have been team lead or right now I think um, uh, when I was a team lead in a corporate uh, scenario or when I became an entrepreneur to right from the hiring, right? Even uh, when you are in corporate, you need to hire a team if you have that opportunity or you are given some people. I think it's, it's about uh, spending time with people, getting to know them and understanding uh, what, what motivates them, what drives them, what are, what are the common ways you can come together, finding that alignment. Finding the values, those insights is important. And having a diverse team is uh, not necessarily bad because you can, when, when you get into that situation, when you have to solve a problem, having uh, ideas from different uh, directions, those, that diversity can become your uh, asset actually in, in long term. So if your team trusts you, It, it's great. And if you create that safe zone as above that they can fail, but you should be the first one to know about that uh, problem or a mistake that, that took place so that you don't hear it from another place, that will definitely help. And how you react or how you handle that. I learned it the hard way. I'm telling you, it's not that uh, I haven't uh, gone through that process, but uh, allow yourself to build that process and uh, allow yourself to. Uh, you know, go through that. Always reflect on what's happening around you. You have to be a bit more mindful as a leader than when you are just uh, not responsible for a team or somebody. And mm. empathy, in my view, is not a bubble. It was, uh, you know, it got a limelight when Satya Nadella became the CEO of Microsoft. And in his leadership, he uh, wanted to basically uh, 
communicate this. And that's why it has become a big thing now. But if you see fundamentally how Microsoft has changed in his leadership, uh, how he has uh, evolved uh, the whole uh, company and the direction they have taken, it's pretty amazing if you want to investigate on that. So in my opinion, empathy is something which comes from mutual respect and, uh, uh, you know, creating that uh, that. Uh, dialogue with, with your people where you can have that uh, communication which is uh, not expectation driven but an expectation uh, because that is how it was uh, what what is your expectation am i coming true to that or not but it it's more like a dialogue where you offer uh, a willingness to move on from one place to another uh, very quickly and you adopt and pivot very quickly. You have that mindset to constantly grow and uh, and able to, you know, uh, give that environment to, like I said, the young young people because they are very very impact driven and not just a financially motivated bunch of people. Mm. Yeah, I also work uh, with this Microsoft technology um, daily um, in my day job. And I also follow this uh, the Microsoft CEO very closely, and it's really interesting how he, because of his leadership and also strategy, could uh, pivot Microsoft to a company that is still uh, relevant. So there's definitely something. And I also have seen a, a PDF on Capgemini, that mm -hmm. is a kind of IT, one of the biggest IT consulting companies in the world. And they have also some PDF how uh, empathy is now important in, in, in the workplace. And I will link it also in the show notes that people can also read through it. And um, yeah, so what I was really wondering is you were raised in India, but mm -hmm. when did you leave to Europe or the US? Uh, how was that geographical path in your life? Yeah, my uh, interaction with Europe, I would say, started late 90s, early 2000 with my uh, corporate job at Ericsson. So, I I mean, I've been to Sweden, so that was my first stop in Europe. And then uh, I uh, basically, that was a time, you know, the turn of century where everybody was... Uh, looking to either deploy their mobile networks <laughs> or <laughs> updating their existing fixed uh, line networks. So there was a lot of technological deployment. So I got to travel most of the Europe at that point in time. I've been to the newly formed countries at that point in time, like Latvia, Lithuania, <laughs> Estonia, uh, 20 years ago, plus 20 years ago, the Croatia and all these countries have been there like at that point in time and also uh, destinations where tourists used to visit like Rio de Janeiro or Curaçao and stuff like that. Mm. So, so yeah, so that was my exposure and window to world and uh, mobile network uh, gave me that opportunity. The new technology gave me that opportunity. And then uh, at some point in time, uh, because of the trajectory of both of our jobs, like me and my husband, uh, we got an opportunity to move to Europe. So we moved to Europe and uh, we lived here for a bit and then we moved back to India and then we moved back again. So we've been been in and out of Europe for a long time. In the US, we didn't live as such, but uh, we had uh, one we had businesses there. So we still have investments there. So it was mostly business relationship, uh, so to speak. This is um, kind of not homeless, but but uh, <laughs> like a nomad. Uh, like yeah. you, you did this nomad thing very oh, early yes. be before yes. the word was there as a digital yes. nomad. 
Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely, I did that. That That's very rightly said. <laughs> <laughs> At least you build the networks um, that we can uh, right now can can use LTE uh, when we work uh, mobile. Um, you build these networks, um, but you you had no LTE So speed. this was uh, before 3G. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you could send and, some text uh, message. Yeah, so before 3G, that's right. We could send text messages. And I'm, uh, I'm very grateful to the opportunities I got. I've been involved in the first uh, 3G launch uh, for the worldwide. I've been involved in the first VOIP launch. And now I'm going to be in the 5G as well. So life has come full circle for me, definitely. Okay, so um, one of the last questions is, what was your biggest mistake as an entrepreneur that you made somehow? Have you made some? Uh, my, like, I already admitted some mistakes, uh, <laughs> Matthias, in, in all in the your, in your, in, I, Yes, I, I, yeah. I want to just to, yeah. to have some more. Highlights. You, you, some yeah. highlights. I mean, you, you mentioned this um, in your corporate life, that you had, have had some problems to motivate the team and so on when you became a team lead. But in your entrepreneurial life, there must be more. No, uh, so that... that answer was actually generic. Uh, so that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, very uh, black and white that this was the, that was more of a generic response. And I think all my answers are kind of combination of the life's lessons that I have. So I've made a bunch of mistakes, obviously, as an, as an entrepreneur, I would say. Sometimes you have to decide fast. Sometimes you have to decide slowly. And, and that's what you kind of can go mm. back and reflect on the opportunities that came your way. Uh, so so that those mistakes happened. And uh, I think always investing in your team and your team skills have been, uh, you know, a challenge. And for me, everything is a leadership challenge, uh, so to speak, as, as we, we are going forward in life. So there have been a lot of mistakes, uh, right from team building to managing the teams and finding the right uh, uh, tools at the right time and enabling those tools so that people can take decision. How do you make sure that the person right at, you know, who's just joined the company understands the culture, understands the business? So, so it has been a continuous learning And I would say that uh, there is not one single highlight that I can say. It's a sum total of many decisions that, that happens, you know, because uh, it's, it's a continuous process. It's, it's a lesson, like I said, right? If, if, if I just take the recent example, if this pandemic has taught us a lesson, is that we are all connected when it comes to global issues. And we all have responsibility towards humanity. And apathy cannot be an option. And it is time to be more responsible and embrace it as a norm and not as an exception. So likewise, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you continuously strive to be successful. But it's important that you don't forget the purpose or the values you started out with. And there are multiple things you have to do all the time. And even the most successful people, they still do mistakes, but they have a system which kind of helps them not to uh, make those mistakes. So I think uh, taking, I personally will feel if I have to look back, uh, I didn't personally take time for myself, 20 minutes, self-reflection, writing down what was going right, what was uh, not going right. And that self-reflection perhaps would have helped me not to make uh, more mistakes than what I did. You have kids? Yes, I have it have one child perfect um just because you said take 20 minutes for reflection 
as I just did it in the morning and um, I was kind of interrupted. But I will try again in the evening. Um, final questions. Where can people find you online if they want to reach out? Yes, uh, definitely. You can find me on Twitter. It's uh, My handle is at the rate Parul SM. Uh, you can find me on Facebook uh, with Parul Madan. You can find me on LinkedIn as Parul Madan. And I'm also on Instagram, Parul.Madan. And of course, today I spend a lot of time on Dudash. So you can find me on Dudash.com and I'm your host uh, there. And I'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. And maybe also on TikTok. And what is one, <laughs> one resource uh, not well known that uh, you could maybe recommend for somebody re uh, starting out for financial independence or entrepreneurship or just to follow their, to build something that um, is, has some purpose for them? Is there any book or any podcast and YouTube channel that's maybe not well known? Yeah, I mean, I would give you the classical uh, way. So read about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That is one of the classical books, uh, which I think a lot of people would have recommended. But I think uh, one of my initial uh, uh, books that I read, which, uh, let's say, inspired me to figure out other uh, sources of income was that. Of course, uh, Warren Buffet is a great source of uh, knowledge and understanding how investments can happen. So, you know, learning from the best is the best way, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I'm more classical that way, reading books and uh, uh, following the advisors and extracting the advisors from there. Is there one actionable tip for someone who maybe just starting out um, to become an entrepreneur or solopreneur that you would have um, that they can apply? Hmm. Just thinking what could be the one tip. Yeah, I would say customer validation is the most important one. So you have to constantly stay close to your customer, understand what they're wanting, what their needs are. And you have to have strong nerves if you're building out. So you need to, uh, because a lot of people perhaps don't like your product or your service. So you'll receive a lot of rejection. And uh, on the same time, there's a different dimension of it could be that there is in your inner circle, your family and friends, do they actually support you? Maybe they don't like that you go in, on this journey at all. So what are the sacrifices are you willing to make here? Uh, what are your goals and their aspirations? Are they different? You may be working in your garden on a Sunday while they are barbecuing in their garden. So what are the choices <laughs> you're willing to make and will you be happy with your choices? I think these are tough questions and I've seen numerous founders giving up more often than not because their partners don't support this kind of a lifestyle. Hmm. Um, next time I will ask you how to find a good partner and co-founder. <laughs> but for now, I will leave it at that. And um, thank you very much for being here in, in the podcast and um, giving so much uh, of advice and um, letting us learn from your life experience. And yeah, have much success. I wish you great success with Studesh and I will follow through and I hope everybody also will join the network. And yeah, see you next time. Bye -bye. Thank you, Matthias. Thank you for taking this time. I really thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you. And if you receive feedback from your community on any of the things I said, which was not clear to them, I'm happy to hold another session, uh, either online or any, any way which you would like to hold that and happy to have a bigger exchange uh, with your community members as well. Thank you so much for having me. Hey Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? 
Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.